Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm Kevin Gastola. I'm joined by Rania Kalik. Hey, Rania. Hey, Kevin. And uh, we had said that we probably would be taking a break, but the Empire had other plans for us. <laughs> they were like, not, not this week, you guys. And, and they decided that they would mark a new chapter in a saga that has been unfolding since... 2010 2009 if you want to go that early which we've been following um at least i've been following very closely for my entire journalistic career and that is that julian assange the wikileaks editor-in-chief was expelled by ecuador which is an issue on its own um and then there was the arrest outside the ecuadorian embassy in uk or actually the British police were invited to come inside the embassy and haul him out into a police van. So that's a second issue. And then the third issue is that on the same day, we had an unsealed indictment. So on April 11th, the Justice Department finally revealed those sealed charges that had allegedly been in the hands of prosecutors for uh, a while, for, for several months and in fact, according to Julian's attorney, the extradition request had been in force before the indictment was even uh, drafted. So we have a lot of issues. Um, and since it's something, yeah. Well, I wanted to say, before we get into the nitty gritty details, which you know really well, um, for those who like... You know, because Assange hasn't been in the news for a while. I imagine we might even have some younger listeners um, who maybe were like teenagers when WikiLeaks uh, first became famous. And, you know, Chelsea Manning, and then known as Bradley Manning, you know, was in the news for leaking all these things. And there was, you know, collateral damage, like all the Iraq and Afghanistan war logs, which is what Julian Assange is being uh is being prosecuted for. Um, but like, before we get into the nitty gritty, like, can you just give kind of like a very short, brief overview of like beginning to end? Cause I really do feel like some people are like, like they know WikiLeaks, they know Julian Assange, but this has been going on. I mean, it, he's been holed up in that embassy for like, since like 2012. And so there's a lot of people who maybe graduated high school in 2012 who listened to our show and didn't really know what was happening before then. Yeah. So the thumbnail history that I'll attempt to give. Thank you. I like that <laughs> thumbnail history. That's cute. <laughs> is that Julian Assange uh, founded WikiLeaks. And you, I, I don't have the exact year off the top of my head, but you'd have to go back to somewhere around 2007, 2008, I believe. Um, and then this organization had the radical idea, which is actually still radical because you'll see many, many journalists within the U.S. press. And you'll probably, even if you are in college or at a university, if you're going through journalism school, they'll probably tell you that you know, this is still really not the way to do journalism, even though I, I, I disagree. But the idea was that we're going to release all of the documents um, that could be used for news reporting. And then we'll just have the news organizations will go through our database or the people like you and me um, and the general citizens will have the ability to just read the documents themselves and benefit and know what governments are doing. Um, and they had 
impact. They had impact. Um, I can't really go into too much specific detail, but Kenya was um, a country where they had a meaningful impact, um, and there were uh, they they had uh, done some work around Iceland eventually, um, which I think also came from having a diplomatic cable that Chelsea Manning disclosed. Uh, so they were doing some work that was country specific. And it wasn't all about the United States as they got their start. And Julian Assange is from Australia. Um, he's Australian. He did have a past before WikiLeaks was launched where he had been a, a, a charged and prosecuted for hacking into, uh, I believe it was a computer system in the United States. Um, and so now uh, in, in early 2000, sorry, in the late 2000s, going into 2010, you have uh, this WikiLeaks organization that was launched on the website saying that we can accept submissions. And they developed an anonymous system where you could submit publications or, or, or sources could come with documents and they could feed them. And then the, the idea... Anonym anonymously, anonymously. Anonymously, yeah. The idea, what WikiLeaks sold to people was that your identity would not become known. Uh, of course, that doesn't take care of the fact that like you on your own end as a source have to protect your tracks. But, right. uh, but WikiLeaks was not going to reveal to anyone where their information was coming from. And so you could pass on these documents and then they'd publish and they'd go through and they'd, they do the work to try and attempt to verify that this was um, a real document. And I think that there's only been really a, a, a tiny, tiny fraction um, of, of, of the time that they've gotten it wrong and put up documents that weren't legitimate. Um, but in almost every single case, these are real documents that have been passed on by people there. They're the emails, they're documents within government database. Um, and so uh, anyways, we have the major disclosures, which is what's at issue here. The ones that came from PFC Chelsea Manning, who was deployed in Baghdad as a U.S. Army intelligence analyst, and she passed on um, over a half million documents. These were Iraq, Afghanistan, military incident reports. They're not classified intelligence. I'm going to emphasize that. I won't say why I'm saying that, but they're not classified intelligence. They were historical documents. There was nothing in them that could have been used to find any U.S. troops' current locations. It just told you where people had been killed and other things related to those wars um, that were important. And then there were the U.S. diplomatic cables from the State Department, and then you mm -hmm. also had these Guantanamo files, which are at issue in this indictment, and those were the different detainee assessments on the Guantanamo detainees, which were really significant in the sense that it told you the sort of lies and fabrications that were being spread within the U.S. military about the people who were rounded up and renditioned by the CIA and brought to Guantanamo Bay and held there, and how certain a small group were actually being used as informants to um, give people uh, fabricated intelligence that could keep certain detainees confined for a longer period and so that they could cook up cases. Uh, but what we found through the release of these documents is just how badly the military actually understood who they were 
detaining at Guantanamo Bay. And you saw um, that, uh, you know, before George W. Bush left office, there were hundreds of people within that facility that had to be released because they never had any basis for holding them. Um, and then, and so that's a significant set of documents. Uh, we had the collateral murder video that was published. Of course, that probably had the most visceral kind of reaction that WikiLeaks has ever had in its entire uh, work, uh, the entire span of, of work that WikiLeaks ever did. Uh, but immediately, um, immediately when it came on the scene, it was it had the attention of the CIA, it had the attention of U.S. intelligence agencies. There were intelligence memoranda uh, memos that were being put together on WikiLeaks, and so. Uh, to quickly wrap this part, uh, I'm actually doing a fairly good thumbnail history because this is yeah, it's great. I'm trying to encapsulate <laughs> ten years that have unfolded, ten to twelve years in like seven or eight minutes, so we can get to the uh, the the issues of the indictment. But we we see that after this, you have things like Stratfor, uh, which was this private intelligence firm. You had uh, Jeremy Hammond, who ended up being prosecuted, but he was a hacker. Um, and um, Barrett Brown had some tangential involvement in this, if you are familiar with that name. But but the the Stratfor emails uh, were uh, put into an archive published by WikiLeaks. They showed what this private intelligence firm was doing. A, a bunch of amateurs who were very self inflated and felt like they were doing a lot more work that was crucial than they really were. <laughs> but they had influence in the government. But they still were amateurs. And then. Um, you had um, different like things like hacking team, which were sort of looking at different spying tools that some of the Gulf states, um, Arab countries and other places were using to uh, attack their own dissidents and go after people in their own countries. Um, we have now concurrently going in this history that Edward Snowden would have released uh, documents or provided them to Glenn Greenwald, Laura Poitras, um, and The Guardian. And so we have that work unfolding, and WikiLeaks is actually trying to assist Edward Snowden to get from Hong Kong to, uh, well, they wanted to get to a Latin American country. We believe it was uh, Venezuela, may have been Cuba. And anyways, he got stuck in Moscow in an airport because the State Department revoked Edward Snowden's passport. So Sarah Harrison, who was working for WikiLeaks, ended up living with Edward Snowden for about a month um, and was trying to shepherd him and help him get to safety as a, as a source for really critical documents about the NSA. Um, that was part of WikiLeaks' work, even though it wasn't a WikiLeaks publication. And so then you have... I totally forgot about that. And then you have, as history um, continues to unfold, going into 2014, 2015, you have less sensational releases. They admittedly don't get as much press, but um, you have things like uh, Syria Files, which um, uh, I think those actually might have been a little earlier, but in this time frame after the cable diplomatic cables, you get Syria Files, which are some like emails revealing some of the elite inner workings of people in, in, in Syria, and I think connected to Bashar al-Assad's um, inner circle. And then uh, you have uh, other things like, uh, oh, well, so now we're getting into, uh, you have the Podesta emails, which, you know, the Democrats um, ha had never been fans of 
WikiLeaks don't let them pretend like they were ever really on the right side. But then this changed it forever. They could never be supporters of WikiLeaks because you don't speak ill of our candidate. Um, and so the, these, these files were published, these emails from campaign chairman of Hillary Clinton's campaign, um, John Podesta. And yeah, showing really embarrassing things like that the Hillary Clinton campaign had wanted to, Trump to win the Republican primary. And there's a, they could beat him in a general, going doing things nasty against Bernie, blah blah blah. Yeah. Yeah, there was. You're a tannin saying that we should steal Libya's oil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and you you find out the different ways in which Hillary Clinton was being duplicitous when it came to progressive issues, uh, pretending to be on the side of the environment while uh, telling fracking activists that they need to get a life, and uh, the way in which they were. Uh, rigging parts of the primary so that they would have an easier time winning the nomination and wouldn't have to worry about a primary challenger like Bernie Sanders. That's that's that was crucial information, and so uh, and it needed to be learned somehow. Uh, whether we learned it the right way, I, I don't really. I'm not here today to have that discussion with anybody because there are more criti critical things unfolding than you know whether we learned about certain information properly. Um, that's, that, that's for you to go argue with at a think tank in Washington, D.C., if you, if you have time. So uh, then the final thing that should be mentioned is, because I, I think it really upset and pissed off the CIA, was they got their hands on something called Vault 7 materials, and they're very technical. And I, I, all I will say about them is that they really revealed different tools that existed in the hands of uh, U.S. intelligence agencies and particularly the CIA and revealed things that were highly, highly classified uh, and WikiLeaks was publishing that stuff and sharing it all over the world and um, showing things like uh, related to like how you can crack and get into like an iPhone and stuff like that. And uh, so that was, uh, that's really like the end. That's kind of like the last thing and then um... but real quick before you get into the indictment i also think it's important to emphasize that um one of the crew i mean wikileaks is so crucial because chelsea manning even would talk about how she went to several outlets with her information and they rejected it or they never got back to her like she went to several major outlets and they were like not interested yeah so chelsea manning did try to reach out and contact uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post. I believe there was even some interest in maybe going to Politico. But uh, for the most part, she found that when she was uh, trying to contact them, she, she left a phone message. Nothing got returned. Uh, she mentioned some of these documents. I think she got to speak to somebody. At least she claimed she spoke to somebody at the Washington Post. Um, and uh, there was some t talk about maybe setting up some kind of a meeting, but she was also there. She was on her, um, as they call it, R&R from the Army, and so she was um, had a couple weeks where she was in January 2010. She was in the U.S., and uh, there was a snowstorm, and I think she said she wasn't really sure if uh, she would she should go down there. I think she got cold feet a little bit and wasn't sure that if she went to the post's um, offices that she would still be able to protect herself and uh, wouldn't be found out. And so 
but but she tried and they didn't uh, do anything with it. And so ultimately she decided to go through the WikiLeaks submission site and you know she described pulling up the site and what you saw on the screen and then how it had basic information and told you what to do in order to submit those documents. And that's how she decided to do it. I think that's such a crucial point to emphasize because of what I mentioned earlier. And also, like we, again, I, before we get into the details, I do want to say that I think one of the reasons, and you'll talk about this, Kevin, why the indictment, why this prosecution is such a danger to journalism and to press freedom, um, but it doesn't seem like people in the mainstream press, particularly at MSNBC and NBC, I saw an NBC journalist like celebrating this indictment. Um, and other outlets, like these sort of pundits and these like star media personalities, they, I think that they don't care about the dangers posed to journalists, journalism and media, media like impressed freedom, freedom, because they don't actually engage in journalism for the most part. They engage in a lot of stenography and a lot of bullshit. They are in and of themselves in many ways, whether they mean to be or not, state assets um, all they do is kind of repeat what government officials tell them or like, you know, paraphrase press releases. Um, that's pretty much what most corporate press people do. Not all of them, but most of them. So they don't have anything to be concerned about because this, th what this poses a threat to is actual journalism, right? I would, it would, and you'll talk more about that, but I just want to make that point because like people keep acting so surprised. Like, can't you see what a threat this poses to media freedom? And like, even if these people on MSNBC can see that, they don't care because they know they'll never be targeted because they don't do journalism. And that's exactly right. And, and I have more to add to that, but um, if you'll bear with me, I'd, I'd, I'd like to just go through the indictment and then work our way back to the general point. But, but Ren, you're absolutely making the crucial point here about journalism and why people don't take the issues around Julian Assange's indictment that seriously and also why they're cheering it. And in fact, going so far as I saw um, throughout much of the day on April 11th that you saw journalists hyping, in fact, speculating to what extent the Justice Department is going to add additional charges to Julian Assange. They were eager. They seemed to be fervently hoping that the prosecutors come up with with new, a number of additional charges to, to really nail them because one is not enough. To, it's not enough to just extradite him, bring him here and charge him for hacking. Um, there's so much more and the, the Democrats fixated on the Podesta emails and wanting to get him because they believe, even though I found out through doing some research recently that PolitiFact, which is a very establishment outfit as far as fact checking, was never able to substantiate that WikiLeaks ever was working for the Russians. They have their own piece there that says there's really no evidence out there. And yet you see Chuck Schumer and others hyperventilating over how we need to get Julian Assange here and hold him accountable. Um, and so I, I agree with your, your, your very general point there. And there's, there's actually a lot to add. Well, I think that's interesting too is like, these same journalists lost their shit when Jim Acosta got his, like, like when Donald Trump tweeted mean things about Jim Acosta, they're like, how dare you? But in this case, they're, like, cheering for someone to be prosecuted for engaging in journalism. But also, when you're going to talk about the indictment, nowhere is the 2016 
uh, DNC uh, email leak, or I'm sorry, Podesta email leaks, nowhere is that even mentioned in the indictment. So it's just odd to see all of these media personalities like Chuck Todd mentioning this over and over and over again. Like, and there they want to see, you know, Julian Assange prosecuted. And also, like you said, mentioning the Russia thing, like over and over and over again, when the A, there's no evidence, and B, that's the, 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 20, the 2016 email leaks aren't even in the fucking indictment. <laughs> like, yeah, and I think that goes to how they understand WikiLeaks and want to understand WikiLeaks, and they're creating their own reality, and it doesn't match what is actually going on, at least in terms of the Trump administration. They don't seem to be very interested in that part of WikiLeaks um, history. Um, and, and, and that actually makes sense to an extent, because the one thing I can remind people of when you go back to 2010, which I left out, was the political reaction to these disclosures from Chelsea Manning, the publication from WikiLeaks. And you might recall that there were people like John Bolton, who is now working as the national security advisor for the Trump administration, who was calling for Julian Assange to be assassinated. Um, and you had people like Mitch McConnell, who were suggesting that Julian Assange was a high-tech terrorist. They don't need these Podesta emails and any alleged work with Russia to go and nail this outfit and to go and uh, justify the U.S. targeting WikiLeaks. The justification, as far as the national security state goes, came a long time ago. Yeah, and it's also interesting to me to see people like, um, well, first of all, the entire, I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but still on topic, but the whole crowd of Democrats that's running for the Democratic primary has been pretty silent about it, except for Tulsi Gabbard, <laughs> which is uh, pretty cool. But otherwise, no one else has said anything. And it just, it was so odd to me to see this dominate headlines. But then to see so many um, people who are actually in politics, except for like the most hawkish ones, keep their mouths shut about it. Uh, Mike Gravel had a good statement that he released. And, yeah, because he's awesome. And uh, I forgot about Mike Gravel, and he's, but you're right. And, and you know, his campaign is specifically about getting in the debates so that he can put issues um, and challenge some of these primary candidates that have Democratic establishment backgrounds that need to be challenged. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you had those two being uh, really the only politicians who were saying anything reasonable. I mean, even uh, as we have to just be fair and, and, and note, Bernie Sanders' campaign was taking a position of silence and choosing to not weigh in um, on uh, – by saying anything that was positive or negative. They didn't even pay lip service to the concern. I, I noticed that Ocasio-Cortez at least acknowledged that she's concerned about what this might mean for journalists as far as the Justice Department carrying out the indictment. That's really all it takes. If you don't really know what to say at this point and you're afraid of like what kind of backlash you might get, uh, if you don't really have any courage you can just say that. I'm not saying that Ocasio-Cortez wasn't making a good statement by saying that, but I think at this stage, if you don't really know what you're talking about, it's fine to just acknowledge that uh, based on looking at different press freedom groups that you're just going to go out to the media and say, well, I'm going to follow this closely because I'm concerned about what it might mean for journalists. It's funny, you know, the Committee to Protect Journalists, which is like, which it receives funding from all these different, like, um, foundations and possibly even the State Department, but I know that Christiane Amanpour and people like Madeleine Albright sit on the board. They released a statement being like, 
were concerned. That was it. <laughs> they were just concerned, which to me is like, oh my God, when, when in another country that the U.S. doesn't like, if there's even a rumor that like a journal, that like a politician said a mean thing to a journalist, they're like, this is intimidation against journalism, <laughs> you know? So that was funny to me. But anyways, right, okay, so, so the let's, indictment. let's so the get indictment. into the indictment. So let's get into this, because no matter what you're hearing, this is what is happening, and this is what is actually in the indictment, and and, and you should refer that to, to, to what we're talking about here when you reply to any of these journalists who I think, and I really believe this, Rania, that they don't know, they don't want to know, and they're not going to try to figure it out because it helps them and their ideology to not really understand what the Justice Department is doing. So that's my take. Um, so we have that this indictment was issued on March 6th, 2018, and the crime was conspiracy to commit computer intrusion. Now, what jumps out to me, having covered leak cases for the last 10, 12 years, having followed the Obama administration, which really perfected this kind of machinery so that you could target whistleblowers and then also you could pump it into overdrive and maybe even target journalists as well who are involved in leaks, go after them as co-conspirators. What jumps out to me is that this is not a charge under the Espionage Act. So a lot of people, you heard them saying this is for hacking. It's not for journalism. Well, but if you keep reading through the indictment, you'll find that he's actually being accused of engaging in a conspiracy that relates to the publication of the documents. So uh, th that, that's, that's the truth. The first graphs that are in the indictment, the first part of it, we have these general allegations. When I was reading it, what jumped out to me was that this is the sort of filler that every person in the Justice Department puts in an indictment when they are putting together an Espionage Act charge. It mentions that Manning had a top secret security clearance. It mentions that we have an executive order in the United States that protects classified information. What does that have to do with hacking? It doesn't. It just is there because what they're really doing is they've charged Julian Assange with a hacking or a computer crime offense, and then they're shoehorning an Espionage Act case underneath that charge because what they want to do is get around the issue of extradition, which is that in the UK, espionage is considered to be a political offense. And so in order to survive an extradition challenge, they can't charge him with espionage because then his lawyers will be able to say in a court in the United Kingdom that he's being charged with a political crime and then the UK courts will likely deny his extradition to the US, so they have to go after him for something like a computer crime in order to uh, have any chance at all of bringing him to the United States. So as you go through this, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to say to that. No, 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 keep going. So as, you go, so as you go through this, then you see in the indictment, and I always, I always like this part where you have to get the your person's middle name, especially if they're a white person. We have Julian Paul Assange. So you have to have their middle name so that they sound more like a mass murderer. And then you have Julian Paul Assange was the 
founder and leader of the WikiLeaks website. The WikiLeaks website publicly solicited submissions of classified, censored, and other restricted information. Now, uh, that's important to me because uh, it's talking about the publication of the information. That's actually at issue in this charge. Then it goes on, Assange, who did not possess a security clearance or need to know, was not authorized to receive classified information of the United States. This is like a really huge part of the indictment to me because journalists rarely, if ever, and shouldn't probably have security clearances. Also, it'd be you, fucking weird if you did. Also, like, if you had weird. A, also, if you had a security clearance, you and you published information, then you would be leaking, and you would lose your security clearance. Uh, but also, that is what you just described is journal like that. That's making journalism illegal. Yes, like yeah. that is that's literally what you just said. Is like soliciting. All outlets do that. They solicit class. Like they solicit like like internal documents. They do that, and they also encourage people who are leakers or whistleblowers, if you will, to give them more. That's what journalists do, and journalists do that without having a security clearance because. Unless you work for the state, like, why the fuck would you have a security clearance? That doesn't make any sense. This is the point that uh, James Goodall, who is his former general counsel for the New York Times, um, he was working there when they published the, the Pentagon Papers and was involved in the legal battle when Richard Nixon was trying to shut down their publication. I mean, he wrote uh, recently for Harper's Magazine a very good piece calling out the media and their editorial boards for not taking this more seriously, and he said exactly what you're saying. And he had an example that Seymour Hirsch told him in an interview that what he does with sources is he uses quote-unquote seduction. And so he doesn't know when he talks to a person that they're going to cough up information right away. He doesn't know he's going to get the stories he's looking for, but he's working them, he's finessing them, he's making sources feel comfortable with sharing information. And then you hope you get to that point where you get something that you can have that'll give you a kind of a, a a revelation that gives you the meat to your story or gives you everything that you need that can can give people uh what they need to know and you're you're essentially criminalizing that kind of news gathering by the way in well, which yeah well i was gonna say that's not and that's not unique to just like sort of the marginal like really adversarial types like seymour hirsch Right? That's like what actually journalists and corporate media outlets do too. Like, when you go to have a beer and you sit at the bar and you're trying to get them to say the thing you want to publish. And so, the key allegation that is against Julian involves um, allegedly agreeing to assist Chelsea Manning in cracking a password that was stored on US Department of Defense computers. All right, so first off, you may have seen headlines that say that Julian Assange uh, is charged with hacking into Defense Department computers. Okay, well, Chelsea Manning already had access to these computers. She didn't need anybody to help her hack into them. She had the access because that's what her clearance gave her. So she could get to all of these databases. So I can't tell you how stupid it is to listen to anyone sit there and argue that Julian Assange is involved in hacking. Um, as far as password cracking goes, 
what it looks like, and I don't have the best technical understanding, but what it looks like is when you look at this exchange that is mentioned in the indictment, that Chelsea Manning wanted to be able to search this database anonymously and pull from it, and she was concerned that maybe the military was getting closer to figuring out that she was in there taking documents and sending them to WikiLeaks. When this happens, what they're mentioning in the indictment, it's March 8, 2010. She had already pulled information out of databases. She had already been providing information to WikiLeaks. So it's possible that while you're in the middle of this, uh, you know, there are several acts that take place over a time period. It's possible at this point, she's now concerned, they're getting closer to figuring out that I'm doing this. I really need to protect my anonymity. And Julian Assange, actually being a decent journalist, says, yeah, you're going to do this for my organization. I might want to be concerned about source protection. And I don't think that's an outlandish thing for him to try to, you know, help with. Um, especially if you believe that what is being revealed is war crimes, is um, crimes against humanity, is misconduct, corruption, fraud, waste, abuse, etc. Then you believe that person has a right to disclose this and you believe that person has a right to hide their tracks so that they don't get punished too severely for releasing that material. Does it seem like a fair rationalization? Absolutely. And that's what any journalist would do. I mean, James Risen at the New York Times, like refused to disclose his source to protect his source to the point where like he almost went to prison. Yeah. And that's what you do. Like that's what you do. You protect your sources and you help them protect their anonymity. And, and so uh, this cracking of a password, this, this, these details that they, claim to have. I'm just going to say this comes from a pretrial hearing that took place in December 2011, which I was at. This was quite a spectacle because it was before the court martial and almost um, at least a couple dozen of the witnesses that were going to testify during the full court martial during her trial were called. And the military has this formal process where in order to actually put a uh, enlisted officer on trial, you have to prove that you have evidence and could make a case if you went to a full court martial. And then you have to have a judge approve um, your case. You have this authority approve your case to move forward to a full court martial. So Chelsea had to come before um, and, and face these, the, the, the basic outline of this case had to face this for each of these charges, and all these prosecutors have to say for each of the charges, this is what we're going to try to prove in the court-martial. And on one of the days, they had military prosecutors present evidence where they claimed that Assange had attempted to devise a way to browse Cipernet anonymously. Uh, you might hear this throughout the case as it unfolds in the next two to three years. Cipernet is the secret network that held all this information. And by the way... All of that information was held on those databases because after the September 11th attacks, the United States government and its intelligence agencies decided that there wasn't enough sharing of information between the different agencies. And so they needed one location where people could go and find all kinds of stuff about what was happening so that they wouldn't miss terrorism threats again. 
So that's why that existed. And so um, my colleague or someone who was working with me and, 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 and was in the media center at the same time doing really good work, her name's Alexa, Alexa O'Brien, she did a transcription uh, unofficially of a lot of the proceedings. And so what we have from her is that um, there were chat logs that were put up on the screen allegedly between Julian Assange and allegedly between somebody who was uh, Chelsea Manning. And there's a name that is attached to Julian Assange, Nathaniel Frank. We think that it is Julian Assange. There's also a press association account. We think that, or the government does, that it was press association. But I have to be very clear here. In order for them to make a case against Julian, they're going to have to be able to prove that Julian Assange and uh, was actually using these usernames. And I and that may seem like a very minor point, but you have to prove that that person was having this interaction because this whole exchange here is what they're calling an agreement to help with password cracking. It's the core, it's the only evidence that they have right now of arguing that he should be charged with this computer crime. So it's really crucial. And so um, um, they say the evidence would show that Manning asked any good at LM hash cracking. Um, and then LM, the evidence will show, stands for land management, is what the prosecutor had said. And then Press Association responded, we have rainbow tables for LM. And the prosecutor said the evidence will show that an LM hash is essentially the way that a Windows computer stores passwords on that computer. And again, I'm not going to get into any of this. I don't have any technical expertise to describe what they're really doing there. But this is a concern about whether Manning can uh, get, get around on the database anonymously without being detected. And that, that exchange right there is what they're saying is a crucial part of the password cracking agreement. Um, you also see um, further down in the indictment uh, that they're mentioning an exchange that took place around the, the, the Gitmo files. They're talking about Julian Assange being interested in getting those files. And so that makes him uh, someone who's engaged in a conspiracy. Uh, particularly, there are these two lines that are in the indictment that should ring alarm bells to anyone who cares about journalism. It was part of the conspiracy that Assange encouraged Manning to provide information and records from departments and agencies of the United States. That's journalism. It was part of the conspiracy that Assange and Manning used a special folder on a cloud dropbox of WikiLeaks to transmit classified records containing information related to the national defense of the United States. Well, what they're doing there is they're criminalizing the use of drop boxes for accepting documents, which a lot of media organizations have gone to in the last four or five years. That method was popularized not only by WikiLeaks, but also in the aftermath of Edward Snowden. Or more journalists kind of said to themselves, well, you know, I think I would like to be able to receive documents from sources too. And some of these organizations set up their own drop boxes through something called Secure Drop. And what US security agencies would really, really like was a way to criminalize this method because it's an effective way 
to get information and it also makes it harder for them to figure out the sources which makes it harder for them to track down and put together cases against people who are doing this leaking so uh that that's in the that's in the indictment i mean i just want to pause for a moment that's in the indictment so there's all these people out there like michael weiss who are claiming that this has nothing to do with journalism it's just about hacking I'm reading what's in the indictment. You can't actually say that and still be taken seriously. Well, from what I understand, the word hacking and hack, that, that <laughs> word does not even appear in the indictment, not once. And one thing that um, people were pointing out is that the media seemed to run with the hacking issue because that was the headline of the Justice Department's uh, press release. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> like... Hacking is not in there. Password cracking agreement which would allow you to violate a system. I'm not disagreeing that, like, um, it is true that based on our law, the way it is written, that having a way to get into a system and crack a password, it's true. That's, but that's an issue of, like, how the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act works. And so, but, but what I'm also saying is, like, all of those issues aside, it doesn't matter because this is the takeaway. The computer crime charge that is accused against Julian Assange has all this extra shit about allegedly co-conspiring and committing espionage that is not typically a part of a computer crime charge. I mean, it's, it's it, no, I'm serious. Like it, they, they are very clearly trying to do some like workaround to uh, still charge him with espionage act violations but also not um have the issue that they charged him with the espionage act which would mean that everyone would be outraged and think that he was a journalist who was under attack what a fu- i mean what, what, what an, uh, it's like so transparent what they're doing and just watching like sometimes i feel like i'm in some weird like dystopian novel like watching the way the press portrays things because it's like they're not being honest and it's literally like the government's just writing all the reporting. Yeah, yeah. So and that's what it feels like when you re- like when you read about this and then you watch the various segments on it. That's what it feels like. And and can I read to you? I just I just want you to hear what's in the Espionage Act, and then I want to read what's in the charge against Julian Assange. So, so people who are listening can very clearly recognize that, that these are identical, that they've taken an Espionage Act charge and they've put it into a computer violation. So usually, when, when, so when Chelsea Manning was charged, she was accused of releasing information that related to the national defense or information uh, relating to the national defense, which... The possessor had reason to believe could be used to the injury of the United States or to the advantage of any foreign nation. And then it continued on, talked about transmission, communication, delivery, said to any person uh, and, and transmitted to any person not entitled to receive it or willfully retains the same and fails to deliver it to the officer or employee of the United States entitled to receive it. Now that's a that's a lot there, but if I scroll down to the charge against Julian, I see that he is charged with knowingly 
accessing a computer without authorization. All right, that's a computer charge. But then as I continue, I get to pursuant to an executive order and statute to require protection against unauthorized disclosure for reasons of national defense. So we have national defense. That's this like nebulous term they make up for information, which actually can include not only classified information, it can basically be any piece of information that the U.S. government has in its system. Because there are so many things that we do now, especially in the era of the war on terrorism, that can be related to national defense. There's like no way to defend against not rela releasing information that's related to the national defense if you're you know, if you really want to get down to it, you can twist almost anything into relating to the national defense of the United States. And right, so, because there's no like standard definition of what that means. No. And also to a lot of people, the national defense means literally like any information that makes America look bad. <laughs> and compromises so that, the national defense. So that's, I mean, that's literally like the way most um, patriots look at it. So then the last part here is <laughs> with reason to believe that such information so obtained could be used to the injury of the United States and the advantage of any foreign nation and to willfully communicate, deliver, transmit, and cause to be communicated, delivered, or transmitted to any person not entitled to receive it and willfully retain the same and fail to deliver it to the officer or employee entitled to receive it. That's exactly what I read to you from Manning's charge, which was an Espionage Act charge. But we're to believe that this is a computer charge. It's such bull. I mean, it's such bullshit. And I actually didn't. I know, like, when you laying it out, it actually sounds more terrifying the way they're trying to, like, you explained, um, you know, do all this, like, all this, like, espionage stuff under the cover of a computer intrusion charge. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't, do you, I mean, what do you predict is going to happen? Do you think this guy, do you think that he's going to be extradited to the U.S.? Yeah. So I think that. Well, one of the things that we had happened was there was, um, I think that they're going to have a lot of trouble getting him extradited. There was this case uh, that involved a hacker named Lori Love, and there was an extradition that was pursued against Lori, and it involved hacking. And they were su successful in actually stopping Lori from being uh, hmm. extradited. However, um, part of that um, involved arguing, um, I think, health-related issues uh, hmm. in order to build up sympathy. What do you, like, what do you, what do you mean health, like mental health-related? Yeah, physical? some of, some of that, um, um, things where, like, I think Lori was actually moved back into living with, um, I think his parents ended up taking control. So it was, like, some ideas that like maybe some of these decisions had been made and like the mental faculties weren't entirely there. So the problem with Assange in that respect is that he's been so demonized yeah. by the international press, so dehumanized by governments around the world to the point where like um, even people, it's kind of like the way that people are with, with Venezuela or something where they're like, look, I'm no fan of Maduro, but. Yeah. And so even the people in the West who are like, uh, against this prosecution of Assange, a lot of the times we'll say, I'm no fan of Assange. In fact, they'll be like, I fucking hate that guy. He's a piece of shit, but. And so, I mean, that's how deep the, the level of demonization against Assange goes. And maybe he is an asshole. I don't know. But the guy, I mean, the point is, is like, I don't think there's any way that they'll be, they'll, they'll be able to um, spin it or garner any sympathy for him, especially given the way 
his hearing went yesterday. Yeah. Um, where the judge was just like called him a narcissist. <laughs> like, but that's what uh, that's what any judge would do. I mean, that's how judges treat these people. And yeah. uh, I've I've heard narcissist in in a number of whistleblower cases. I mean, you know, the, they they think that all leakers are out for self importance and that they don't actually care about. I mean, there's there's no to them there are no good faith leakers that are trying to make the world better. They're just out for their own aggrandizement. They want to publish their own books, um, you know, all this stuff, which is actually what like high ranking officials do. They're actually describing right. what people who <laughs> run the government are out to do because you leave government, like projection. You, go get, you go get contracts with CNN or MSNBC and you're invited to speak about this on, on a daily basis. So um, I wanted to go back to, as, as we wrap, um, I wanted to go back to this issue of, of journalism and, and why you have this kind of reaction. Um, and then I have a, I've mentioned, I get to, uh, promote something that'll be coming out before we end that's related to this. So oh. the think the issue with, uh, the security clearances got me really thinking because I don't know that we'd ever enter this world, but I was imagining, um, an even worse dystopia where, you actually have the government giving out security clearances to a select group of journalists who have access. So saying that like you can publish, but you can publish only the sensitive information that we give you permission to publish. And then like that would officially give us the sort of stories that we want about what our national security agencies and military are doing. And then I thought in my head, I was going to say this on, in my comments. And I thought we already have that. They just don't have security clearances, but there's like this unspoken agreement that you can publish this material and we're not going to do anything about it. Like we're not going to raise a fuss in the media because those people, those journalists would never get prosecuted, but you know, you still could have like uh, the people who run these agencies go on TV and complain that journalists are reporting and they can make a fuss and then Congress could get worked up about it. But it doesn't happen because they really do need that group of state-identified people to promote their message and share this information so that we have propaganda out there about all of these different operations. Yeah, I mean, I think you just found your next uh, spy thriller novel. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, but that's all too real. I mean, I, I do think there's a level of like, like what you're saying, like sometimes... Um, I mean, I don't know. You are, there's, there is like this elite group of journalists who are taken, it's like being taken serious by the, seriously by the government or being treated as legitimate by the government makes you a legitimate outlet. So like, it's like, uh, MSNBC, CNN and anything affiliated with it is part of like the legitimate outlets. And then like RT is not and have their, has their credentials revoked and they're forced to register as foreign agents. So you kind of do have like what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and I, I support people who are putting out op-eds that note that the threat to press freedom exists. But I do have to say that Margaret Sullivan had a, an op-ed for the Washington Post that talked about these threats. But she talked about it in the frame of traditional journalists was how she wrote it. Traditional mm. journalists need to recognize. And I really think that at this point, 
after we've seen this video, if anybody had any sense, which, you know, there are a lot of doubts as to whether they do, but if anybody had any sense, you would abandon this distinction because I think that saying traditional journalists versus non-traditional journalists or, you know, these, this idea of like real journalists versus like whatever you think these other people are doing. I mean, Julian Assange isn't the only one who's kind of doing that thing. Like there, there have to be other people out there who we don't really know who are making an attempt to do that kind of journalism. It exists now in the 21st century. So you may not like him, but people are trying to publish information in innovatively fresh ways, and they're not doing it exactly the way that the New York Times does. I mean, especially like when you look at the journalism industry, it's a difficult industry to be inside, especially if you're adversarial. Like that makes you almost unemployable um, for most outlets that are mainstream and traditional and legitimate, right? So like in a way, it's kind of like she's saying, because there's a certain type of adversarialism allowed in the mainstream, but then there's red lines. They're unspoken. They're unofficial red lines. Like you don't cross this line. You can go only this far. You know what I mean? But then those of us who want to go further than the red lines aren't allowed in the New York Times and the Washington Post. So like we're not traditional journalists then? I, yeah, I, I, I would imagine that I'm... I've always been called an activist journalist. Yeah, I get called that too because we have like because we're honest about our opinions, which um, I don't think is a thing. I've resisted, and I, I maybe there was a time that Julian Assange was called an activist hacker, or maybe people within WikiLeaks are called activists. Uh, but I've always resisted because I'm not doing the work to organize people, and that actually requires a lot of effort. Like you have, yeah, to, I'm not an activist you, at all. You have to like, get people. You have to get people to show up to a rally. I don't know how to do that. So no, neither do I. There's nothing about me I feel like is involved in activism. I just, um, I just, I mean, I think we get called activists because we care very, very deeply about issues related to justice. Um, and we are infuriated by injustice. And somehow that just like automatically makes you an activist because then that goes back to what traditional journalism is supposed to be, which is this like bullshit objective, uh, objectivity, like both sidism kind of crap that isn't actually like realistic because journalists aren't robots. They right. all have biases and we're just honest about ours. And yeah. ours are the good kind of biases. <laughs> so I didn't want to let Ecuador off the hook. We do need to spend at least a minute acknowledging. Oh, yeah! We do have to spend at least, uh, and, and maybe you'll have a lot more to say. I, I, how about I set you up? I've done a lot of talking, but. Uh, no, no, you can, you, can do, you can describe the details of this because you're going to, I think, be able to articulate it better than me because I'm just going to be very scattered. So I'm, well, mostly just, I'm mostly just pissed off. Well, I was going to set up a general point here, which is that we need to view what was happening to Julian Assange truly within a sort of anti-imperialist lens that we've been approaching the whole issue of Venezuela and what's happening with that uh, crisis that we've engineered through sanctions and, and other actions that have destabilized the country. Um, and one way we know that this is part of that agenda is the International Monetary Fund um, ha had um, apparently, you know, they, they, they very not long ago, uh, approved um, a financing deal for Ecuador. Um, this is possibly sort of an incentive for uh, getting rid of Assange out of their embassy. We don't know, but it was only like uh, 
uh, middle of March, uh, so March 11th, that they approved um, a, a $4.2 billion financing deal, the IMF. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have the fact that we know Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo have been trying to uh, get Julian Assange out of the embassy and, and didn't want him to be there. And that he, they have been making trips down there at the same time that they've been making trips to Venezuela. They've been visiting these countries. They've been doing a lot of work in Latin America to solidify this kind of right-wing authoritarian alliance that they have been developing in this part of the Western Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. I think what you mean is returning Latin America to its prior democratic greatness. Yes, yes. Uh, make Latin America great again. That's what you're referring yeah. to. Yes. But um, this, so this new leader in Ecuador... Uh, Moreno. Is it... Len, is it Lenin Moreno? Yes. Um, yeah, well, yeah, his name should not be Lenin. Like, I feel like that is very <laughs> um, misleading. <laughs> but the guy is like, I mean, the guy is such a fucking asshole. And he took over uh, from Rafael Correa, who was like a leftist leader and a part of the pink tide in Latin America and was very close with Venezuela, which, by the way, Rafael Correa's um, uh, Facebook account has been suspended. Uh, and why was that? So, you know, I don't know if there was a reason, but I could imagine probably, I imagine the Atlantic Council's digital forensics lab didn't like what he was saying about Moreno. He was calling Moreno like a traitor and he's right. Um, what, what happened was really, I mean, there's so many aspects to this that are really unprecedented. Uh, the fact that he made this deal with the UK and the U S and allowed the police after giving someone asylum. Like Julian Assange was given asylum and even given Ecuadorian citizenship. Um, he rescinded his asylum. I don't think that's, I don't know if that's ever happened, but if that's allowed to like go forward without being challenged, that actually like sets a new precedent for refugees who seek asylum pretty much everywhere is that you're really never safe. Um, because that means a country can just like revoke your asylum. Like it's fucking, it's crazy. Um, on top of that, just the fact that they let the UK police into their embassy that way and like arrest somebody they had given asylum to is just so fucking crazy. Um, and Rafael Correa was calling him a traitor and was like advocating against this treatment of Julian Assange and making basically making the points I just said, but even better. Um, and he was getting a lot of attention for it. And so I assume that's why Facebook suspended his account, which just shows you that Facebook, once again, it's like more evidence that Facebook acts as more like an arm of the state. And then when I say state, I mean the U.S. state Um, more and more every day. Uh, And that's frightening as well. But so anyways, he's been silenced on Facebook. But the whole Ecuador angle here is just and they charged like they did all these. They were spying on Julian Assange. I actually don't know all the details of that, but I know like a week ago uh, before all this happened, uh, WikiLeaks was accusing the Ecuadorian government of spying on Julian Assange so that they, they could get like dirt on him to help with extradition. I'm not really sure how um, that would have happened, but there was allegations. And then the allegations that they used against Assange to revoke his asylum didn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, none of this has really been substantiated. It was all anyways, a pretext for something that, that was always going to happen. And I think what we saw uh, a week or a week and a half before the actual arrest and expulsion was the very, reality that they knew it was coming that any day 
the British police were going to come into the embassy and take Julian Assange away. And, you know, the fact that that could have happened at any moment had to feel terrifying to Julian Assange sitting there. can't even imagine. I mean, and you want to talk about paranoia. I mean, looking around outside at all the people. The guy lived inside a room for like seven years. Like he, I don't think people understand like, um, this guy's probably been mentally, like, like he's been broken mentally, I'm sure. Yeah. I couldn't survive like that. Like he was basically kind of in a prison. And they say he has years. a chest ailment and needs uh, health care. And the irony that one of his lawyers was describing on Democracy Now!, Jeffrey Robertson, was that he couldn't go get the health care because he would have to leave the embassy. But now having been arrested, he might get health care because he's going to be yeah, I mean, what he was subjected to for all these years was extremely cruel. He was holed up in this embassy, couldn't leave. There was other countries that tried to help. I think Russia might have tried to help, like, make some deal where he could, like, and so did Ecuador tried to help make some deal where he could, like, get diplomatic immunity. He could become, like, an Ecuadorian diplomat after he was given citizenship. And then if you're a diplomat, you have diplomatic immunity. So then he could leave the embassy and just go to Ecuador and he wouldn't be arrested. Um, but the U.S. said absolutely not. Uh, but so, there, I mean, there were, there, it's just like the, he was subjected to he, these conditions were cruel for all these years. Like he's already paid a, such a massive price. And I just think that, like, I don't know, like, I don't know. I, I don't like this whole level of like dehumanization of Julian Assange. Like I'm supposed to hate Julian Assange. I mean, he did a service to the world whether he's a creep or not, the guy did like a huge service to the world. He ex- like he helped expose war crimes in a way like they've never been exposed before. Yeah. Um, and he made enemies because of it. And so I have a really hard time like hearing this whole, like you're supposed to hate Assange, you, you can't like him crap. Um, and that like, you're supposed to also engage in like dehumanizing him. And uh, because like, it's like, that's exactly what the CIA is doing. Why would I participate in that? Like, they want you to see him as not human so you don't care how they punish him for doing journalism. I mean, it's pretty fucking basic and simple. All right, so let's let's conclude by uh, doing a little roast, and then um, I want to hype something that I have coming out, or this project that's coming out very soon. So cool. the Washington Post, their editorial board, didn't really pay much attention to what Margaret Sullivan was writing because <laughs> they went the exact opposite direction. Here it is. Here it is. Mr. Assange. Can I guess? Wait, can I guess first? You want, you want to guess? I mean, I just assume since their tagline is Demar- democracy dies in darkness, they, they're aware of how dark this day, this day is. Mm. Right. Mm. And how bad it is for democracy? Like, you know, am I, am I, am I at least I, I a little do, bit close? You know, I'm beginning to think that um, maybe they need to, like, invert the phrase so it's like uh, darkness oh. dies in a democracy or something like that. Or, or maybe, some, maybe it's more like, well, maybe, maybe it's that, like, maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe they think it's good. Like, they want to help democracy die in darkness. Ah, yeah. See, we've been taking it Maybe we've been misunderstanding it all this time. We thought that was a warning. (laughs) It's actually um, a celebration of what could (laughs) potentially happen. And that's what they're trying to bring about. It's an aspiration. 
<laughs> precipitate the darkness. The desperation, yeah. Mr. <laughs> okay, okay. So Mr. Assange is not a free press hero. Okay. Yes, WikiLeaks acquired and published secret government documents, many of them newsworthy, as shown by their subsequent use in newspaper articles, including the Post. And then we have one of the biggest butts in the history of columns written by an editorial board. But contrary to the norms of journalism, oh my God, Mr. Assange sometimes obtained such records unethically, including according to a separate federal indictment unsealed Thursday by trying to help now former U.S. Army soldier Chelsea Manning hack into a classified U.S. computer system. Are which, they illiterate? Do you think that these people at the editorial board are illiterate? Like they didn't know how to read? Is not in the indictment. She did again, as we said yeah. before, she had access. You don't need to help Chelsea Manning hack into the US computers. She right. had access. Right. Also, unlike real journalists, WikiLeaks dumped material into the public domain without any effort independently to verify its factuality or give named individuals an opportunity to comment. I love that part. <laughs> wait, what? Hold on, wait, 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 wait. So you're supposed to, with half a million documents, you're supposed to call up, like in a State Department cable, are you supposed to like call up Hillary Clinton and any, any of our underlings that are mentioned and ask them for comment? Like, what the fuck? You're gonna expose them for something they did that is bad. You can't tell me the Washington Post contacts every single individual that they're going to expose that wow. is involved in. I have to read this sentence again just because it's so incredible. Unlike real journalists, WikiLeaks dumped material into the public domain without any effort independently to verify its factuality or give named individuals an opportunity to comment. So that makes them um, some organization that should be targeted with crimes, with prosecution. Oh, like, wow. oh, by the way, that's not true because they look at their documents and try to substantiate whether they actually come from the sources in which are being claimed. Like they, they have a verification process so that they don't get accused of publishing <gasps> forgeries. But even if the Washington Post like doesn't like the way WikiLeaks went about it, what does that have to do with criminally prosecuting someone? Exactly. So they continue. Like, again, they're making it about character and, like, about things that they don't like that WikiLeaks did. Like, anyways, continue. Nor, needless to say, would a real journalist, I just love this, the real journalists, like, they're better than... Real America, like, real Americans. Have, versus... co have cooperated <laughs> with a... Nor would a real journalist cooperate with a plot by an authoritarian regime's intelligence service to harm one U.S. presidential oh. candidate and benefit another. Even no though we don't have any happens. evidence of that, we have never been presented with evidence that that actually And also happened. he's not being charged with that. Exactly. Even if it isn't really about journalism, the Assange case may touch on genuine issues of free expression, as would any matter related to the dissemination of information, secret or otherwise. That's quite a downplaying there. <laughs> I'm like, wow. well, he's not the only one who we would have to care about this issue, so let's not act like this is a new thing. I mean, I expect nothing less from the Washington Post. The Justice Department proposes to try Mr. Assange on a single count of conspiring to break into a U.S. computer system, which, again, is not what he's accused of. <laughs> which, on its face, does not criminalize the communication of the secrets thereby obtained. I mean, on its face, 
the whole indictment is all about publishing of information. Having already given assurances to Ecuador that it will not extradite Mr. Assange to the United States on any charge that might carry capital punishment, including espionage, Britain should not fear that sending him for trial on that hacking count would endanger freedom of the press. Let's just talk about this for a second. Oh my God. For a fucking out. Are you, didn't the Washington Post win awards because of stuff they got from WikiLeaks? I'm not entirely certain, but they certainly. Like I'm pretty sure the New York Times did. Like these fuckers. Oh my God. All right. So assurances uh, that they, to Ecuador, that they will not extradite him and punish him with capital punishment. I mean, espionage does not have a death penalty. So I don't know, like, this is sort of, like, beside the point. Because if you charge a number he, of times... But there's people who've threatened him. Like, you yeah. said John Bolton advocated for killing him. Yeah, exactly. And so, if you bring him here, this is the one thing that they're going to have available. If you're a defense attorney for Julian Assange, you're going to be able to argue that he is... Uh, going to be moved to the U.S. and would likely be put in a supermax prison, which is like being in solitary confinement. And that is cruel and inhuman treatment to a lot of Europe. And so I actually am curious to see how the uh, authorities in the U.K. that have to facilitate this extradition are going to be able to overcome that issue because this whole thing of the U.S. has assured them that Assange's rights will be treated well and all of that. That's, that's a huge problem for the U.S. because the way we treat everyone in our mass incarceration, mass incarceration system actually can prevent Julian from coming to the U.S. You know what's, I mean, okay, sorry. Are you going to read that last paragraph? Because Do you have I'm it? like, I'm, yeah, I'm shocked by it. To the contrary, Mr. Assange's transfer to U.S. custody followed possibly by additional Russia-related charge or his conversion into a cooperating witness, could be the key to learning more about Russian intelligence's efforts to undermine democracy in the West. Certainly, he is long overdue for personal accountability. Are these people this stupid? They think that this is their hope, this is their fantasy, is that Assange is going to help them crack open the big Russian conspiracy against American democracy? There's no evidence that WikiLeaks cooperates with the Russian government. In fact, I think they've leaked stuff about the Russian government before. Um, there's no evidence to that. So, like, they just are hoping that this will, like, it's the, I like how they end on more Russia stuff, like war Russia nonsense. Is we can, we can convert him into a cooperating witness against Russia. We're told. This is insane. This is insane. And it's also a part of this attempt to um, frame anything that, challenges or exposes bad American behavior, of which there is a lot, as Russian propaganda. So now the, the videotaped war crimes that Chelsea Manning leaked to, uh, to WikiLeaks are Russian propaganda. Not evidence of U.S. war crimes caught on tape, but just Russian propaganda. That's a way to just cancel it out. Yeah, and... Even though Chelsea Manning, we know her motives, they had nothing to do with Russia, they are fixated because uh, simultaneously in the background, you have this fight over getting Robert Mueller's report. 
And so mm -hmm. what you see very clearly here is that they're coloring Mr. S uh, they're covering they're coloring Julian Assange's arrest with this whole battle over the Mueller report, and they're saying that they believe that Bill Barr and the Justice Department are going to hide the truth of what happened between Russian intelligence and the U.S. government, but particularly the Trump campaign, and. It's going to fall also, on. They think, they think Donald Trump is going to deliver them the key person they need to demonstrate, like. It's going to fall. <laughs> I mean, I love this fantasy. Let's just take this fantasy for a second and then we'll wrap. Just We've crazy. gone on for a long time. But this, yeah. let's carry this fantasy to its conclusion. Julian Assange is going to be brought to the U.S. And we are going to coerce him and interrogate him into becoming a person who cooperates with the United States. I like like to like first pause on that. Do you really think after 10 or 11 years of what he's endured, he's going to do he's gonna anything? He's going to suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, he goes ahead and let's say he actually does this. Say he starts talking. Do you think that anything he's going to share is going to be helpful and provide you information that Mueller would have not shared with the people who are in the Justice Department, with the people in his special counsel team, that it wouldn't make it into the report, that he's hiding something. I just can't believe that this has actually happened in the last two to three weeks, and you see it in the way they wrote about Julian Assange, that these people actually believe that Mueller might be sitting in the background letting the Trump Justice Department hide information and that he's not actually that that he might have information that could prove a conspiracy and he's going to sit on it like that's not going to hurt his reputation in the establishment so fucking insane i just don't like these people are deranged they're conspiracy obsessed deranged elites who like still can't understand why trump became president yet somehow at the same time they're supporting trump's most hawkish moves doesn't make any sense to me. All right. So thank you, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate your continued support week to week of our show. Um, it was really important for us to get something out. And so some of you might be listening to this earlier than normal. We typically post on Sundays. Um, but uh, we're going to get this out to you early because it's breaking. And there's a lot of coverage out there that is just terrible, atrocious, uninformed, and usually bad faith. For bad faith reasons, people just don't know what they're talking about. And so <laughs> hopefully you can have this uh, and you can cite parts of it and respond to some of the people out there, especially on Twitter or even on Facebook, so that like you can counter some of what's being said and have this in your... Have this available so that you can have an informed conversation with people who and then one thing i'd like to promote here uh which was announced the day that julian assange was expelled and arrested is that um i'm going to be in an anthology that is being released um called in defense of julian assange it was edited by Tarek ali and margaret ratner kunstler and uh, it's a book coming from OR Books, 
And I just wanted to mention that, and you can look for it in June. The thing that I wrote about, which we really didn't discuss here on the show, as for a future conversation, is um, I, I did this whole thing about WikiLeaks and the Democratic Party, and basically dug into why Julian Assange would be driven to contemplating the fact that you know Donald Trump maybe could have helped him out and 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 helped him leave the Ecuadorian embassy in the UK to get to safety. Of course, that didn't happen. He didn't get that, um, and and that's also maybe something to pursue and 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 discuss about like how you know Donald Trump failed Julian Assange. I mean, he I think Julian Assange thought I have more chance with Donald Trump getting me out of here than I do with Hillary Clinton because she hates my guts. In fact, she made this obscene joke the night of uh, of the day that Julian Assange was arrested where, did you see this, Rania? Mm-mm. She made this joke where she was asked what she thought about Julian Assange's arrest. And she said, well, I don't have any concerns about press freedom because he was accused of hacking. And Are then, you serious? Yeah, she said this. And then she... And she was at some panel event. I don't have the location off the top of my head, but she was at some panel event. And then she added a joke and she says, well, but isn't it funny that the only foreigner that Donald Trump will allow in the United States is Julian Assange? (laughs) Are you serious? Wait, near a tandem, right? No, I'm talking about Hillary Clinton. Oh, wait, well, I like how I just confused that. No, no, you're right. Hillary Clinton did say that. I'm sorry. New York Tandon said something else that was ridiculous. Um, but yeah, that was really, that made no sense to me, actually. I didn't really understand where she was going with that. Could you explain that to me? I, I was very, very confused by that comment. Uh, so anyways, this is coming soon um, in June. And all of the proceeds from this book, if you purchase it, uh, will go towards um, any defense fund for Julian Assange as he challenges the extradition and there's people who are going to who are contributors uh renata avila who was just on democracy now talking about the case um she's done a lot of work um uh, she's one of the unsung women who have been part of wikileaks you know a lot of people treat it like some like patriarchal organization it's just a white man working there are people who have done work like her that are critical and then noam chomsky has a piece in there chris hedges uh, Caitlin Johnstone, who's very popular work, Jeffrey Robertson, Assange's attorney, Jennifer Robinson, another attorney for her, Angela Richter is an activist, a woman who's worked with WikiLeaks away way. And so um, it should be a good book for people to um, pick up with some important information about what's going on with Julian Assange um, if you want to read more into it. So thank you for it's listening. Very exciting. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, thanks for and we again thank you, thank you, Kevin, for taking time out because you're supposed to have some family time and we were taking the week off. Um, but we had to do an emergency, urgent episode about the Julian Assange affair. So thank you for taking the time as one of the few people who really understands these uh, details to go through and lay out what's happening. Um, it's really important because I mean you really are one of like a handful of people who knows the ins and outs of all this, like legally speaking. Well, thank you. So thank you for your work on this. All right. Well, we'll be back soon with another episode.